and we rescued a pilot whale whose number was 300. The reason I truly love Hundy or 300 is because she she changed how we rehabilitate pelagic animals. She is now that story, that scientific information that tells us this is a better way to do it. Hi, I'm Cindy Simmons, and this is See the World with Cindy Simmons. The whole goal of this podcast is to take you on an eye-opening journey and explore everything that SeaWorld has to offer. So I'm kind of extra excited to learn about a major milestone that SeaWorld just hit, their 40,000th animal rescue. What? That is crazy. It's kind of a bittersweet moment, though, because it's fantastic that SeaWorld has been able to rescue and rehabilitate so many animals. But... It's also a sad reality that these animals have needed this care, and so many of them. So joining us today are Jody Westberg and John Peterson, both from the SeaWorld Rescue Teams, and they actually have very fancy titles that we're going to get into in a little while. But first, I wanted to say hello, Jody, and hello, John Peterson. We're going to call him JP. So hi, Jody and JP. Hey, Cindy. How are you? I thought we'd call you that since that's actually what you go by. <laughs> Good. Otherwise, I think my mother's there. (laughs) You're like, am I in trouble? Why is she correcting me? (laughs) Am I in trouble? Am I getting grounded? Yes. Hi, Jody. Hi, JP. Hi. And we all at SeaWorld have a lot of names for JP besides John Peterson and JP, but that's why we love him. (laughs) I can already see where this is going today. (laughs) All right, Jody, let's start with you um, because you are at SeaWorld San Diego, and that is the first SeaWorld that I ever went to when I was a little girl because I grew up in Los Angeles. So I feel like even though Orlando is my home now, don't worry, JP, we will get to that. Um, I feel like, Jody, I want to start with you and just kind of get your life story, basically, to find out how you ended up in San Diego with SeaWorld and go. I love, I'm, I'm so excited to hear you are a SoCal girl and you first came to the OG Park in San Diego. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I actually grew up in the Midwest in South Dakota and where there wasn't an ocean or dolphins or whales or seabirds, but... Um, I'm going to be honest, at the time, Baywatch was really big, and it always had to be the SeaWorld San Diego Park. It always had to be the California Park. Yep. And I do have to say, I have gotten the opportunity to work with people I grew up that were my heroes. These individuals, specifically one named Jim Antrim, was a hero to me. He eventually became my boss and my mentor, and I'm very happy now to call him friend. And he is retired, but he still gives me all kinds of great advice in how to rescue, rehabilitate, and return these animals to the wild. Wait, let's back up. You grew up somewhere where there's no water, there's none of that. Then how did you end up in San Diego? The reach of SeaWorld is very, very strong. And I knew all about SeaWorld when I was 12 years old. My parents brought me out here. This, this has always been what I've wanted to do since I was a little girl. And I was lucky enough to have a, have a dream come true. My first introduction to the rescue program was a history-making one with a California gray whale named JJ. Uh, It's been 25 years since she was rescued, but that was a history-making event, the only baleen whale to be rescued, rehabilitated, and returned to the wild at that time. And the science and conservation that was learned from that animal is amazing. But to me, she's still just my sweet baby whale. So how long have you been with SeaWorld then? Have you just been in San Diego or? I have been with SeaWorld San Diego for 
this year it'll be 27 years. It goes by quick and in the blink of an eye and the things I've got to experience, including with our partners from the sister park like JP. JP really is like a brother to me. He is he is family. And I think that way of all the team members at the parks. All just right, to be JP. clear, she started when she was two years old because she's only about 29 right now. So I just and want to keep is. that clear. Oh, Jody, and he's a good friend. <laughs> and this is why you see why we love JP. <laughs> <laughs> All right, JP, you are here in my neck of the woods at SeaWorld Orlando. So I need your life story as well. And go. <laughs> so we don't have enough time for the whole life story, but we'll back it up because Jody and I are sort of the same. I started in Ohio. Um, I lived in Ohio, no oceans around, um, spent a lot of summers in Florida. Um, but there was a sea world in Ohio. So I started in our operations. Um, I actually did wardrobe keys, mailroom, and then there was a position that opened up for an animal trainer. So I stepped into that. Um, I could swim a little bit, so they, they thought I was something. So nevertheless, I went ahead and got into that. Um, I spent about five years in the Ohio parks, a little less than that. And then I came to the Florida park to try to continue to grow the career. And from there, I stepped into out of animal training into animal care and walked into the rescue world and did that for better half of 20 years. And then, um, stepped into this role, um, that I'm in now. And, you know, throughout those 20 years and Jody's right, our sister parks work a lot together. We see each other a lot. Um, we intermix as needed for things and it sort of makes it really fun. So um, now I'm in this role and we are, we are continuing to have the fun and save animals and do the things that we love to do. Love that. JP, I do have to ask because I feel like when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a dolphin trainer, but that didn't work out for me, but it worked out for you. And I'm not bitter about it. That's great for you. But how did you just decide, I want to be an animal trainer, and then you just became an animal trainer? Yeah, you had two choices where I lived in Ohio. You either worked for Geauga Lake in the summers, or you worked for SeaWorld. That's what everybody did. Um, so, you know, um, I went and applied at SeaWorld and got a job in, in, in the ops, which was really cool to learn to park, understand stuff. Um, but then... You know, like I said, I could swim really well and someone said, hey, you could apply for this if you're 18 years old, which a funny story is I had just turned 18. Um, I'm probably the youngest to literally walk through this. Um, and I, I went in and swam. I always tease people because the day I uh, did my initial swim test, I swam to the bottom of their um, Shamu A pool or Orca pool now, um, swam down to the bottom, touched the bottom and you sort of just sat there for a little bit, took a took a little bit, took it in because I'm like, well, I don't know if I ever get to swim with killer whale again. So it's sort of cool to see it's behind, it's over there. I can see it. I can hear it. This is sort of neat. Swam back up and got out. Now in Ohio, a swim test was in March. It was cold. It was cold. The water wasn't that cold. The air was cold. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's sort of it. I mean, it was sort of, it started there. I, and just went. I'm just basically listening to the two of you thinking, um, this is what I wanted to do when I was a little girl, but you both did it. And so that's amazing. Um, so I want to get into talking about animal rescues. And I know that there are a lot of myths and misconceptions, but before I do that, 
I know Jody um, and JP, both of you are on the SeaWorld Rescue teams, but I want to be very specific about what your exact title is for more of the purpose of the fact that you have worked so hard to get to that title and what you are today. So Jody, am I correct in saying that you are basically the curator of the zoo team at SeaWorld San Diego? You are, and right now I specialize in fish. And I wanted to bring that up because I've been very lucky in that I am one of the team members that has gotten to be a part of our bird or aviculture department team, our rescue, our mammal department team, and now our fish team. So it's really come full circle for me and each animal is inspiring in their own way. Wow. And then JP, you are VP of everything zoo related at SeaWorld. I'm sure it's a fancier way than I just said it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I, I... I was the curator of rescue for a long time and then um, had the opportunity and I don't know who decided that I was the right guy, but I I stepped into the role of vice president um, of zoological operations for SeaWorld of Orlando. Um, so I sort of stepped into that, but I, 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 I always joke, I'm the vice president that still drives a crane. Um, I'm also the vice president that still drives forklifts and I also go in the field when I can and still do rescues. So if you know anything about zoos and you know anything about SeaWorld and you know about our teams, what you'll find is that passion never walks away no matter where you move in the career of your job. So let's talk about the rescues because I think sometimes people think that the reason that you rescue the animals is to have them in the shows. And that can't be true at all because it seems that just from this short time that I've been speaking to you that obviously you both have been doing this for so long and you seem so passionate about it too. 110% the goal of the entire rescue program is to rescue, rehabilitate these animals and return them back to the wild. But we also want to learn from these animals because we want to conserve that species, not just save that single animal and save the environment that they live in. So everything we learn from these animals in the wild helps us take better care of our animals here in the park And everything we've learned from our animals here in the park helps us take better care of the animals that we rescue. Again, being from the original park that opened back up in 1964, SeaWorld has been rescuing animals since 1965. This was prior to the Marine Mammal Protection Act and prior to the nationally organized Marine Mammal Health and Standing Response Program, which we now participate in. So JP and I, when we say we started with some of the original people that really um, are looked to as experts in the field of animal rescue. Those were the people that taught us what we know today. You know, and that Jody brings up the point, you know, the three R's, um, you know, rescue, rehabilitate, and return. There's a fourth one there too, and it's research, and that's the learning. So someone asked me today, it's funny you asked this question because someone actually asked me today, um, do you learn a lot from the postmortem exams if an animal passes away that you rescue? Um, we do, but I learn a lot more from the animals I return back out, from their tracking, from their migrations, from what we get off those tags that we put on. And everybody thinks the tag just tells us where they swim. They actually don't. They'll, they do do that, but they'll also tell us how deep, how far, water temperatures, how long they stayed down, what kind of speeds they were traveling at, what the water currents are at. Um, the information that, that we learn. Yeah, all that from one animal that we put back out. Um you know, and returning them is, I say it all the time, and I, I, Jody and I have done this a long time, but every time you walk out and release an animal from a bird 
to a dolphin, to a manatee, to a sea lion, to a gray whale. That is the coolest day of your job because of what you put in to make that happen. At least for me, it is. And that's a long time. Absolutely. We had a liaison albatross. If anybody knows the albatross name Wisdom, these are birds that live up to 70 years old. They're very pelagic. You do not see a lot of them. They can have a wingspan of up to 10 to 12 feet. Um, they're, Jerry, um, what they're, does pelagic mean? You're using those big words for us. I was just going to ask. <laughs> I am sorry. You are sorry. right. And I I do forget with JP when I use big words, I do need to. You need to bring it back down. I'm so sorry, JP. That's all right. If you can help me out, I'm still trying to figure out pelagic. Like I said, like a brother. No. So these are animals that spend the majority of their life out to sea and long distances out to sea. Uh, This animal was blown off course, was rescued, was brought to us by humane law enforcement. And the reason I wanted to bring this animal up because we're talking about returning animals back to the wild. So this is a bird that has an eight to 10 foot wingspan and we're out driving the rescue boat. And um, it has to catch some wind in order to be able to take back off out into the wild. So we let this animal walk out of the transport unit onto the bow of the boat. And I'm driving the boat and I'm trying to go slow enough to be safe, but fast enough to let this bird catch the, catch the wind. And it's up there and it puts its you know, eight foot wings out, gets a little flapping going. It looks like a, it looks like a hood ornament on the bow of the boat, just impressive. And it takes off and it dips down below the bow of the boat. And you just hear all of us on the boat gasp. And then you just see it take off out across the water. And the reason I bring this up is because one of the team members that was with us, her name is Kim, and she's very quiet. She's spent over 30 years rescuing birds, and she she really doesn't show a lot of emotion. Kim started jumping up and down, screaming, yelling, yes. So it was just as fun to see a team member react to something they've been doing for 30 years like that as it was to see that albatross soar off the front of the boat. So... And whoever wants to answer this, I think for a long time, I really thought SeaWorld just did like dolphins and whales, but it's a whole bunch of animals. Can you, between the two of you, maybe just list off all of the different rescue type of animals that you're doing? Where do you want to start? You want to do tortoises? You want to do sea turtles? You want to get into sandhill cranes? You want to get into mantis, dolphins, large whale, small whale? Um, sharks, um, more eel. Uh, we just rescued a spot fin porcupine fish, little spot fin porcupine fish. He's so cute. Sticks his tongue out. looks like he's wearing lipstick. He's fabulous. <laughs> and he's rehabbing very well. He is currently in our rehabilitation center. Yeah. I, you know, and the thing is, I mean, we always say any animal in need, people don't know what that actually means. It truly means any animal in need. We'll help. We've been out on rescues where we're trying to rescue a dolphin and someone's like, hey, the pelican over here has monofilament line on it. So we stop for a little bit. We get our other gear and we go ahead and help the pelican. Let's go ahead and take care of that. And we'll now we'll get back to our dolphin work that we have to get to. Um, there's I can tell you there's not an animal we say no to. Um, it doesn't mean every animal comes to SeaWorld either. So there are specialists who do raccoons. There's specialists who do rabbits, small mammal work. Uh, there's specialists who do, um, certain types of birds and we work with those partners to not just bring animals to them, but when they get animals that our specialty is, they call us. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a great example. We had a, um, we had a hawk flew into a net of a golf course and got stuck. 
And so we went, fire department got there. Um, guys were able to get down. Audubon is who does birds of prey. I don't do birds of prey. I'm not, I can, I can do them, but Audubon's much better. So I called Audubon and said, hey, you guys want to help us out here? And sure, they went and got it. So how is the releasable, say, versus like a non-releasable, how do you, who decides that? How is it decided? So we don't. This is a cool part of rescue. And I'll talk to this for a second. I'm sure Jody's going to jump in. East Coast, West Coast are really interesting because East Coast of the United States, you know, is really, really good. West Coast is Better. really good. Yes. Yeah. I'm All right. <laughs> I just want to make sure you keep that straight. Um, but what ends up happening is you rescue an animal. Our medical teams, our veterinarian teams, our attending veterinarians are going to set up treatment plans. Our care teams, our rescue teams are going to rehab them. And then a letter disposition from our medical team and our rescue curators, they're going to be written and they're going to be submitted to whichever regulatory U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service or um, National Marine Fishery Services under NOAA um, stating what we believe. We believe this animal came in because of X, Y, and Z. It's been put back to health and we believe it can thrive in its natural environment again. That letter disposition goes to the regulatory who takes it to a committee that we're not on. And they have a committee of uh, experts who review all the documents, the medical, everything. They know the species. They're an expert on the species. And they come back and say, we agree with you. This animal can be returned back to its natural environment. This is where it gets even more interesting. Once that happens, you have a certain amount of time to return this animal. So we'll take it out. We'll get it returned. All of that is done to ensure that if I rescue Jody... I can't bring Jody to SeaWorld of Florida and make her, you know, working for JP at SeaWorld of Florida now. That Jody would go back and be released back to California to make it fun. Um, but that's how it works. We don't have final say, nor do we have, outside our letter of disposition, much else put into it. We let the committee tell us. Wow, that's great. So then how do you, who, who really then decides on the fate of the animal? The first thing that happens is the team that is rehabilitating or the rehabilitation center, whether that be SeaWorld San Diego, one of the stranding network partners throughout the U.S. or SeaWorld Orlando, gets together with the veterinary team, the animal care team, and they make those decisions. And really, for let's take a California sea lion, for example. What they have to do is the vets have to see a clean bill of health. They have to show that they can eat in a competitive environment because the wild is somewhere that they're going to have to compete for food. Um, and they have to be a good, healthy weight because a good majority of the animals that we rescue are malnourished. Um, we then will alert our governing agency, which is National Marine Fisheries Service, that they have met all of this criteria. Here's why we feel these animals can be released back into the wild. And we are looked to as the experts, the Stranding Network, our partners beyond SeaWorld and SeaWorld as the experts in making these decisions. So it really is we work to, it's an effort that we work together. And then National Marine Fisheries Service either agrees or disagrees with the return of that animal to the wild and how it's going to be returned. That sounds like it costs so much money because now that I know it's not just dolphins and whales or there are so many animals that you're rescuing, who pays for the rescues? Like where, where does the money come from all of this? Because this just sounds like it is such a huge and expensive endeavor. Well, first off, animals are priceless. So putting a dollar figure on an animal is almost impossible for me. Um, I say that because you're right. It's really, really, really expensive to do this. How do we do it? 
Well, it's very simple. We have guests that come in our park that see our parks. They spend their days in their park. And their coming to our park is what finances our rescue teams to be out there doing what Mm. we're doing. So we're helping. Yes. We always say the guests are part of the rescue team because the way they alert us to the animals that need rescued. Here on the West Coast, we have a 24-hour stranding hotline. And the general public calls into that hotline and reports to us animals that they feel are ill or injured and are in need of help. So the park guests inside and outside of the park are part of SeaWorld's rescue team. They're part of the success of the conservation and return of these animals. That makes me justify my annual pass to my husband then. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) No, but you do bring up the question everybody wants to know, what's it cost to, you know, rescue an animal? What's it cost? That was my next question. I think I'm just going to let you take over and be host, JP. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) I'm not as good. Um, But what's it cost? It's hard to actually put a number on a lot of it. We can give approximations. I can tell you that a neonate... um, Manatee, that's a baby manatee that is under 60 pounds that we're going to have to hand raise, train how to take a bottle, detrain all those behaviors, teach how to be a actual manatee, teach and be able to show that it can thrive back in its natural environment. We're about 600,000, approximately, what? somewhere around per that kind. Per manatee? Per, per neonate, yeah. Yeah. Wow. When we had Maggie from SeaWorld on yeah. the show a couple of episodes ago, um, we got to meet her before we spoke here on the podcast. And my family and I went and we got to see one of the babies that she was giving the bottle to. And it might have been one of the cutest things I've ever seen and experienced. My daughters loved it so much. So just that one little baby manatee to raise and do all the $600,000, I would never have guessed that. Yep. Well, and to bring it all kind of full circle, you're talking about Maggie, who works in the Orlando Park. She is wonderful. wonderful. I wish she, we could get her here to the San Diego Park. Not but <laughs> In the late, <laughs> uh, around 2015 on the West Coast Park, JP and I joke a lot, but we really do work together east and west coast yep. all the time. Um, we had an unusual mortality event, which means there is a significant number of animals stranding or in need of rescue for unknown reasons. We oh, wow. had thousands of one-year-old California sea lion pups showing up on our beaches, extremely malnourished. They look like walking skeletons. And no idea why? No idea why. And I think JP has said it before. When we We've never been told no. When we ask for something we need, we've never been told no. And we're not going to say no to any animal. So many of the Stranding Network partners here on the West Coast had to cap the number of rescues they were doing. We did not want to do that at SeaWorld. We did not want to say no to any animal that needed help. But it meant the team that was doing the work needed help. So we actually closed down our sea lion and otter stadium. And our sea lion and otter trainers came and helped us. We flew in team members from our sister parks in both Orlando, um, San Antonio, Discovery Cove, and SeaWorld of Orlando. And all of us worked together to rescue these animals. And that was, and SeaWorld paid for that. Wow. Flew in all the team members, put them up in the hotels. During this unusual mortality event, what do you need? You need an oil spill. So while this was going on, there was also an oil spill with the largest number of um, seals and sea lions impacted by an oil spill. Those animals were all brought down to SeaWorld to be rehabilitated and returned back to the wild. Maggie was one of the team members that flew out here and helped us. And she is amazing, not just in touring your family, but just watching her and her rescue efforts. 
and then getting a partner with the team from the other coast, it was it was life changing, I think, for all of us. Tapping ending to a story that we first told you about last month. It's about a sea lion that made its way across the busy San Diego freeway in January. Well, it's now back in the Pacific Ocean. That 200-pound animal was rescued by a team of vets and brought to SeaWorld to be rehabbed. After a month of recovery, the park determined that the sea lion was ready to go back home. Still not clear how the sea lion traveled four miles inland from San Diego Bay. You can imagine like a little thumb up on the sea lion and be like, where's the closest <laughs> Uber? Yeah. Well, That's right. No place like home, yeah. right? Glad to see that ending. I think Jody actually hits on something that people don't realize, you know, we don't say no, we don't ever talk about what it costs to do it. And in all honesty, we just don't. But the one thing we, we do have that a lot of places might not have or understand how to get there is we have Maggie's, we have Jody's, we have Jonathan Diaz's, we have people that have such a heart, such a passion and such a drive that no matter what's going on, they don't say no either. And that's, that's unless you've lived in this world. When you have to walk an animal in circles in the bottom of a pool 24 hours a day for three weeks straight, um, we had a mass stranding of pilot whales in 2011, and we brought them up, and we used a pool that we have in the back. We shut everything off and got them in there, and we went on 12-hour shifts walking baby pilot whales. Um, you have no idea what it takes to walk in, walk an animal, and understand the amount of care you're giving around the clock. When you say you're giving 24 hour care, that's not 24 hours, but I work eight to five and I get home to my family at this hour. So some of the unsung heroes in this game are really families, members, uh, uh, you know, your significant others, your kids, because when that call comes, these teams run and do it. Cause you, I would imagine have to be gone for days and days and days or crazy hours all times of the night or morning or or any of that i can put it on the table this way um i've missed my anniversaries <laughs> very well oh, no. i walked out of my anniversary one year after i cooked a what i thought was a really cool dinner i never got to taste it to go get a spinner <laughs> dolphin in daytona and i won't ever forget it because that's a memory of it um birthdays weekends um special events all those kind of things they're really, really important, and we push really hard to make sure we make it to them, and the guys will do anything to make sure it happens, but when that call comes for that animal, that's what we do. We, we turn back and get it done. The job is of rescuing animals, it is physical, it is mental, and it is emotional for us and our families, and JP's wife is one of the unsung heroes <laughs> behind SeaWorld's rescue team. <laughs> I'll let her know you said that, Jody. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> She's going to love her shout out. <laughs> so when you're saying the emotional part of it too, I know between the two of you and all of the years that you have had being a part of the SeaWorld rescue team, there has to be many, many stories, but I'm sure there are a few that just kind of go to the top or they're the shining star of, I remember this rescue because blank. So now I need to have, I, I want to hear some stories because I know there has to be some good ones. I remember this rescue because I heard a whale scream. What? Before we could see it and knew it needed a rescued, we could hear it scream. And one of the best things at the end of that rescue was the silence. 
Um, This was a humpback whale that was entangled in crab pots. It was reported about 8 o'clock at night. Um, We got up early enough to, we drove four hours to get on a boat ride to go out two hours to be in the last known location of this entangled whale um, and start searching for it. We heard it before we saw it. And for people that are wondering, humpbacks are, when you hear those whale vocalizations that are supposed to put you to sleep at night, they're very calming and soothing, that those are humpback vocalizations most of the time. We heard this whale scream. Um, for all, the best way to describe it is the animal was, was hogtied. Um, all but mm-hmm. one flipper was keeping that animal afloat. Uh, we spent the next six hours trying to uh, respond to this entanglement and see if we could get the animal disentangled. There was... Other animals in the area, other humpbacks, uh, dolphins, sea lions. Sea lions literally sliding down the back of the humpback whale. Because sea lions, like, they're always going to kick the guy when he's down. God love them. <laughs> Not a slide. Give us a minute. Um, and we all started to regroup back at the boat because we were having a difficult time getting the line cut. And we thought we had cut it enough to free the whale. Uh, and while we're on the boat, we hear the captain start screaming and pointing and all of a sudden, the whale took one last little shake and shook the gear free and swam off. And just like that, all that screaming and all that noise and all those other animals around were silent. And it was one of the only times in my career where I was so glad not to hear an animal because that was the success. Oh my gosh. And the reason we were able to do that, I know I'm going a little bit long, I'm so sorry, but it, it is because of the experience we have working with the whales at SeaWorld and how to safely handle ourselves around them. That really has helped us become trained, and this is specialized training we do have to get um, with NOAA, with National Marine Fisheries Service, in order to even respond to these animals. And there's a limited number of us within the parks that have this specialized training to be able to do this. But humpback whales are an endangered species, and I'm I'm never going to forget that whale, Mm. to hear her scream and then to hear her be silent and free. I just had goose bumps the whole entire time you were telling me that story, and I was praying that it was going to be a good ending. Thank you for sharing that. JP. Well, first off, Jody does carry a training that I actually don't have. Large whale disentanglement is a very small team. Um, it's a very specialized team, and she's right. It is. It's a very rewarding part of the job, but it also has a lot of serious implications when you're out. So, if you ever see a humpback whale entangled screaming, do not drive up to it. Back off it. Um, that mistake happens here in Florida at times where people see a northern right whale and they think it's worth get closer. Don't just back away. So I only say that because we deal with that side of it too. Jody and I talk about how we do stuff and how we interact, how we go, but we've been, and our teams have been trained very, very strongly. And we've also been permitted to do these actions to make sure we don't break the law. So that's an important side note. Um, JP, before you go on, I do want to ask both of you before JP, I hear your story because both of you had said something that has now kind of stuck in my head when you talked about the humpback humpback whale getting entangled. What are some things that we as humans are doing that are threatening that existence? Like in that situation, is that something that was the human's fault? Like what, what can we do to prevent that? One of the things I definitely want to get out there is we are working with the fishing industry and the fishermen all the time. The fishermen of this, the fishermen of this specific whale where these crab pots have been set, 
it notified us. And with that, we worked together because we knew when he set those crab lines and those crab pots and how long that whale had been entangled. And that's so important to be able to work together. And it's really not about changing what we do or what we love to do. It's just about changing the way we do it. Um, and we and a lot of other local agencies are working with the with fishermen of trying different ways and different lines. I know JP will probably speak to what they've done with the manatees. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's exactly what I was going to say. You know, the fishermen are local local waterway keeper waterway keepers. Um, they're our best friends. They they call us. Uh, they're out there. It's their livelihood out there too. So they don't want right. they don't want their oceans trash. They don't want to lose their ability to do what they're doing. And they they are phenomenal at calling and saying, "Hey, I saw this. I'm sitting here." They'll stop their entire day of work for us to watch a manatee or watch a dolphin that's entangled and try to get help out there. Um, so that's really, I mean, it is truly the important part because sometimes they get the bad rep. They're like, oh, it's the fishermen. They're out there. They got all this monofilament line. Um, not the commercial side. I'll tell you that much. They're really, really good. Um, but I was going to say the thing I say a lot, um, just pick up your trash. It's such a simple process. I don't care if you live in the mountains. If it goes in the water, it's going to end up in the ocean one way or another. It's coming down a stream. It's going through the gutter. However it is, at the end of the day, it's going to end up in the ocean. If you just, if everybody walks around and just picks up a piece of trash when they see it, mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge, huge change in the environment at that point. And that's a huge help to a lot of the animals I deal with because they eat plastic. They get wrapped in it. They got fishing line all over them. Um, you know, what animal, what sticks out? I've got too many stories, but I'm going to tell you one that I... I always talk about because, well, I got two, but I got one that just means a lot to me. Um, And Jody knows I don't usually have the story. She's like, here it comes. He's got to have something. (laughs) Um, We rescued pilot whales. I told you about them, uh, 2012. Um, And we rescued a pilot whale whose number was 300. So when there's a mass stranding, uh, there's secession numbers get laid out. The uh, fisheries gives a number to them. And this animal's number was 300. So it's got a roto tag which is this red tag on this case it was a red roto tag that had a number mm-hmm. on it number 300 so we're down in the keys um we're walking with it with eight others and 300 i will tell you tried to die i don't know how many times um to the point where people are like all right it's not worth putting an effort to her anymore she if she does this again we're just we're done um, but she had a look in her eye and there is a look in an animal and anybody that works with animals, anybody that does this knows you can look at an animal and go, yeah, that one's going to fight. I don't know what it is. Jody's nodding her head here. She, she knows it as well <laughs> as I do. You just have this, there's just a sense to it that that animal's going to fight. And she did. And she fought and she fought. So we transported her once we got her stable enough, we transported her up to SeaWorld and she was curved in half because... She's a pelagic animal, Jody. That is a way offshore, deep swimming animal. Um, and she is because pilot whales are pelagic. So when they come up, their body weight causes a problem when they're in atmospheric like we are and they're not moving and swimming. Um, the muscles atrophied. So anyhow, she looked like an S. Her spine had curved two different ways. So we got her here. We got surgeons. Um, spinal surgeons and therapists and our local hospital here got their spinal team here and they built a brace for her. We worked with the brace and year and a half, she's getting really good, really good. We did stem cell. So we more or less to make this layman's term, did a liposuction of some of her fat. 
We sent that to a really smart person who knows how to take that and take neutral cells and grow us what we call line stem cells that are neutral. We bring them back and you inject them in the atrophied muscle because a neutral cell will become whatever it is. You flex that muscle and all of a sudden she's growing muscle. So that, that curvature started getting straighter and straighter. And I'm not kidding. We were two days from moving her into a facility with other pilot wells because there was no releasing her with the, um, unfortunately, but we came in in the morning one day and she's sick and we tried to treat her and she died 48 hours later. Um, no. why is she my favorite story? Well, a couple of things. One, cause I spent a lot of time with her and she had that fight and that's what got her there. But two, you know, in July of 2000, I think it's 14. And I know July because I was heading with my family to July 4th holiday. Um, and I got a call about a pilot whale who's stranded off the uh, Big Bend Co um, here in Florida. And I told my wife and she smiled at me sort of. And then we turned around and we <laughs> drove back and I dropped him at the house and I went to my rehab center. Um, and Gail is her name, but in 30 days, everything we learned from 300 or Hundy is what her name became. Everything we learned about how to handle pilot wells, not to do things that we thought we found would be better, allowed us to rehab her in 30 days, put her on a boat, take her 129 nautical miles offshore with the Coast Guard and return her. So the reason I truly love Hundy or 300 is because she she changed how we rehabilitate pelagic animals. She is now that story and that that scientific information that tells us this is a better way to do it. And every time you rehab an animal, you stare at it and say, how could I do this better in the future? And that's why. So Wow, that's awesome. Now, that was a very special animal to a lot of people and a lot of team members in our SeaWorld Orlando. I started getting a little weepy the minute he brought it up because I knew that animal, that story, and what she meant and still means to that team and those animals. Oh, it's ridiculous. I still have a rototag and I don't, I am yeah. not, Jody, I'll tell you, I'm not the weeper. I'm not the emotional guy. And that's not because I don't care. Uh, you learn to put a big wall up sometimes when you have yeah. rough um, jobs, but sure, she, she has touched more hearts um, and has taught more that it, it's just, it, it's phenomenal. And those are the ones you remember. <clears throat> I also, and now you're going to get your, um, tissues out because I got one other for you. I already had them out. Yeah. One of the greatest parts of the job is rescuing, rehabilitating, and returning them and seeing them go back off. One of the worst parts of the job for me is a mass stranding because you have to go in and you have to identify which animals are rehabilitatable. And mm -hmm. that's exciting for those animals and you get your teams going at it, but then you get a turn and you get to walk down and explain to that child and family who's been sitting with a whale all day waiting for us to come rescue it. That unfortunately that animal, the only thing we can do to help it is euthanize it. Mm -hmm. um, so the big smiles on returns are because of the days where you have to have that hard conversation and you got to try to figure out how fast, who, what, and make it go forward. It's how I felt when I got to meet Maggie and our family met Maggie. There is something special about your whole team, the two of you, Maggie and your whole team. And you can really hear the passion in your voices. You can tell that you are so passionate and how much you love animals because of the stories and for how long you've been doing this, right? I mean, you don't stay in a job that you just dislike and it's, I mean, maybe some people do, I'm sure, but 
you know, you can, you can tell that there's this love and this passion. And the thing that I also learned today, which I, I really, really love, and it just makes me appreciate SeaWorld even more now, is it's such a family. It is such a family, whether it's East Coast, West Coast, and you guys have your little joke, you know, in between. But My even Coast in between. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm both now. I grew up West Coast and now I'm East Coast. So I'm, I'm going to stay like Switzerland. I'll stay in the middle. But you can just tell, I mean, Jody, when you were saying earlier how everyone from the different areas came in, and I, I love hearing that because it's like you all unite for the common goal of saving animals. And I think that that's just amazing. And I love you guys even more than I already did. We're back with our Today Climate series and an update on the efforts to save manatees in Florida. NBC's Kerry Sanders is in Orlando. He's got a firsthand look at the fight to help these beautiful, gentle giants. Hey, Kerry. Good morning. You're going to see a success story in the making. Here we go. Oh, this is 845-pound manatee. This is Corleone, and we're taking him down to water's edge, where in a moment he's going to be released back into the wild. But as you said, the problem has been one of food. In the last 12 months, a record 1,100 plus manatees have died, most from starvation. These animals aren't down 100 pounds. They're not down 200 pounds. We're talking being down eight, 900 pounds, half to three quarters of your body weight gone. They're skeletons. Orlando SeaWorld, with the largest manatee hospital in the world, had 36 patients and was at capacity. I got to ask you, JP, we just talked about the lack of food, and here you are releasing Corleone. Where is food a problem? Not in this. In Blue Springs State Park right now, there's 500 manatees up in the warm spring. This is the perfect day to return Corleone back to his natural environment. Congratulations. Right. Great success, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Congratulations. So what percentage of rescues that you're doing are just natural rescues. It's happened out in nature, out in the wild, and compared to maybe what percentage are caused by by man, you know, man caused, like human caused. Yeah, there's there's a human cause is probably for me probably eighty five percent of all the rescue we we do. Wow. Um. Um. Natural. We've been doing a lot of mother nature ones, like a hurricane comes through and a dolphin gets displaced. Um, we've spent a lot of time in other States because of hurricanes here, um, from Florida, you know, we travel Louisiana, Texas, other places. Um, but I would say there outside of neonate manatees, there's not a single manatee that's come through my doors that does not have a boat strike or a scar on it. Um, every dolphin that I've had to rescue outside of out of habitats have a fishing hook, fishing line, or something that's human related trash. Um, sea turtles, plastics on almost every one of their GI tracts, which is their stomach, not to get. Yeah. So birds, I mean, I wish a bird would just come in that was cold every once in a while. I, it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable that when you really look at it, it's why I always say pick up your trash. I would say outside of red tides and out of habitats, the rest of them are human cause. Mm. You know, here's a fact no one knows to, or people know, but maybe it's a fact that should be out there. 
uh, the reason we go out and rescue dolphins over here in the East Coast, 90% of them are because of human cause. Otherwise, really? it's out of habitat. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a scary number when you really start thinking about it. Those are the hardest rescues to go out onto and bring the animals back because you know the reason they're stranding and the only reason you're having to rescue them is due to something what's called human interaction, something that we did to cause this animal to become hurt or ill or injured. But the positive side of that is we are also the ones that are going to make a difference for this, these animals and we're going to be the ones that can help get the word out and how to change our habits so that we aren't rescuing as many animals, so that JP and I aren't calling each other up and asking, how many animals did you rescue this year? We want that number to be zero. We, we want to be the park that has the least number of rescues because that means we're doing our job, we're doing everything right, and we are making a difference educating people out in, the, out in the general public what they can do to make a difference for wildlife because that is one of the biggest questions we get. What can I do to make a difference? And I think there's another thing here too, exactly what you just asked, you know, when we do an HI, human interaction, when we do an HI intervention, um, most of the time that animal, that intervention, it's my favorite rescue. I can rescue it, I can rehabilitate it, and I can return it right on scene. So if I can rescue a dolphin, this year, you know, I think we're somewhere in the tune of 17 dolphins, um, but I've only had one come into my facility. I've been able to do everything else in the field with our medical teams and return them right back on site. Um, when you're out there that long, you see stuff that you, you, you just sit there and go, we could have prevented that so simply by just throwing it away appropriately. And I'll be happy to not have to go rescue an animal because they're all in good shape and take a day off and go to sleep. I'd be ecstatic. But until that day comes, SeaWorld's rescue teams are going to be there. We're going to do what we need to do. And Jody and I We'll continue to have fun with each other across the coast, but every animal in need is going to have us there. So if someone would be out at a beach or a lake or wherever, and if they see an animal is in distress, who can they call? Who do they call? Well, one of the first and most important things if they see an animal in distress is they're going to want to help. But the best thing they can do is keep a safe distance we don't want them to spook or scare that animal back into the water or back inland where we or another agency can't get it the help that it needs. So keep their safe distance, keep their eyes on the animal, and report it to the local authorities of that area, whether that be a lifeguard, harbor patrol, sheriff's departments, police departments, fish and wildlife. And if you're in uh, San Diego, you can call SeaWorld, but the best thing to do is report it to a local authority. And if you get a smartphone, download the app Whale 911. That app allows you to actually take a picture of the animal you think that's in need. You can send it directly to the um, regulatory authority who oversees it or the stranding director. They will actually get your GPS. They will be able to identify it. They will give you next steps in real time. And guess what? They also can give us the information in real time. So these new smartphones are really cool. That app is great. And for Jody, for our teams, for everybody out there, having that type of information from a distance is perfect. All right. So one more thing to ask you, because this is just something we ask everyone um, during um, See the World, is what is the best thing you have seen in the world? And Jody, I'm going to let you go first. 
Wow, there's so many. Um, so in just making, instead of making one simple answer to that, to what I've seen, um, this is really about celebrating our 40,000 rescues. And the thing for us is we've impacted more than 40,000 people. And that was the whole goal for me growing up is I wanted to make a difference in my family members' lives, but I've gotten to make a difference in so many individual people's lives that come to the park, see what JP and I do, and now are making changes in their personal lives to help animals. Um, we had a little girl, Gabby, that just happened to be in the park one day. Her parents happened to see the rescue team, talk to us. She was eight years old. We invited her to come on a rescue with us. Gabby, who was Gabby, until we did that rescue, got very quiet and just watched. It was fun to see what we do through her eyes. And she got to see us rescue that animal. She got to see the veterinarians examine it when it first came on site. And we invited her family back when we released that animal back to the wild. So that was one of the 40,000 that we've rescued that had a great impact on me because it was fun to see it through the childhood eyes that I had when I wanted to grow up and work at SeaWorld and then to now see it through Gabby's eyes. All right, JP, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> wow. What is the best thing you have seen in the world? I got to be honest, the best thing I've seen in the world is actually my boys out fishing. Um, you know, we, we talk about everything we do. And for me, I miss a lot of those moments because I am running. We are doing this and that's what we do. Um, but I actually went fishing with my boys a couple of weeks ago and my youngest saw a sea turtle and turned around and was just like, hey, dad. Is that one you rescued? I was like, I Aww. doubt it. I have no idea. But <laughs> to be able to actually have that conversation with him and explain, and he understands how important it is what we're doing, um, it's probably the proudest moment I've had um, because I'm not the sentimental guy, but <laughs> to watch watch his eyes, see my wife smile, it actually tells me that even when they're like, yeah, no, no, we, we know why you got to go. They actually know probably better than I do why it's so important. And that's just mm -hmm. so cool to me. So that is the coolest thing that I've ever seen in the world. Um, <laughs> just is. Two of you, I can't. JP, anybody that listened to this podcast, know you are an extremely sentimental guy. It's ah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons we love you. I think she just outed you. Yeah, she probably did. <laughs> John Peterson and Jody Westberg from the SeaWorld Rescue Team. Thank you so much. I am just in awe of the two of you. I'm in awe of your team and just everything that goes into animal rescue. I, I say this every episode. I always feel like I learned something. I felt like I learned maybe the most out of all of the episodes today. So thank you. And I hope you did too. I'm Cindy Simmons and make sure to join us on the next See the World. And as always, be sure to check out SeaWorld.com and select your favorite park to stay in the loop on all of the great things happening at SeaWorld. And lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you subscribed, left a review, and shared this podcast with all of your wonderful friends. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>